we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands. Just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. My name is Mark Krikorian, Executive Director of the Center. And this week, I wanted to highlight a story that we published and talk about it maybe in a little more depth with the author. Todd Benzman, who is an analyst, national security analyst with the center, was down in southern Mexico recently, the border town of Tapachula and thereabouts. And he actually stumbled upon something that he wasn't really looking for. None of us really even knew it existed, and yet it's a dynamite story. So, Todd, if you could just tell us a little bit about this repressed memories therapy that you stumbled on and that just so readers know you wrote a piece on it on our website at cis.org sure well these are nonprofit migrant advocacy organizations that get substantial funding from the united nations which in turn gets substantial funding from us taxpayers as we know and the center has been publishing my reporting for quite a while already about how the United Nations is providing debit cards and lodging assistance, as well as money for prescription drugs for migrants and from pretty much Panama all the way through to Texas, providing this kind of material support, which is creating somewhat of a backlash among some members of Congress and people who are you know, border security enthusiasts, angry about the idea that the United Nations is doing anything that might be construed as supporting, aiding, and abetting this mass migration crisis, which in my opinion, providing cash assistance in envelopes does, right? and in debit cards. But this was a new take on that whole thing, which is that these nonprofit organizations are providing psychologists, clinical psychologists, to migrants down in Tapachula at least, and also in a neighboring state of Tabasco, to unearth repressed memories of persecution, to provide that information to Mexican asylum adjudicators, who then quickly approve and stamp yes on the applications. And often these repressed memories are being dredged up by the psychologists after the migrants have been turned down because they first told the Mexicans, I'm just going to the United States to get a job. In other words, they first told them the truth, basically. Then when they needed new stories for their appeals, that's when this comes in. That's right. I first noticed down there that the storefronts have, you know, signage on the outside explaining what they're offering, which is psychological services. And I didn't understand what that meant. I was just kind of curious. 
And so I tracked down, it took me a couple days, the director of one of them who wouldn't meet me in person. I guess he was busy. So we just did it by telephone, even though we were both in Tapachula. And I asked him, you know, what's all this about psychological services? What kind of psychological services? And, you know, that's when he surprised me by telling me in great detail in many different ways in a recorded conversation that they were providing a controversial, at the very least, type of methodology to, you know, unearth repressed memories. It's sometimes referred to as memory recovery, meaning that, say, Haitians that are coming in over the border because they want to improve their economic situation in the United States, they're economic migrants by definition. I mean, I don't think I've ever talked to one, and I've talked to a great many, who said anything other than that. But they don't qualify for Mexican asylum. You need to have Mexican asylum in order to avoid being deported right now in the southern states. And once you get Mexican asylum, you get a residence card, and then you're free to travel to the U.S. border. And of course, those residence cards are found by the thousands, hundreds certainly, all along the Texas side of the Mexican border. In other words, they're using this residency card basically to allow them to freely travel to the border. And once they get here, they not only don't need it anymore, but in a sense, they have to throw it away, right? Because their asylum claim in the U.S. would be you know, thrown out immediately if they already had some kind of status in Mexico and you know, weren't being persecuted there. That's right. And it's important also, I think, in this story to note that they provide these services for immigrants who told the truth initially and got turned down. But also they provide large-scale class trainings inside these facilities for people before they go into the Mexican asylum process so that they can understand that if they say the wrong thing, they're going to get deported or held back for a long time. Coaching, basically, is kind of what it amounts to. It most certainly would create the perception that there are coaching mills going on down there being funded by the United Nations. And I think that that is new information. I haven't seen that really reported anywhere. And I think that it's most definitely worth conversation. I know these places are far away from our border and our territory, but it's our money that's being used to fund these kinds of operations. And they sure look like mills, like coaching mills. And the director of one of the organizations that I interviewed did nothing at all to dispel or even pretend that it was anything other than that. And, you know, you say it's far away, and it is, in fact, quite a ways, like, uh, I don't know, 1,500 miles, 2,000 miles from the U.S. border, depending on where you go. But in a sense, Mexico's southern border is our other southern border because these people, some of them may well be staying in Mexico because that does happen. I mean, there's a Haitian community in Tijuana now. There's a Cuban immigrant community in Juarez. But for the most part, they're just doing this for instrumental purposes to enable them to get past the Mexican National Guard and what have you and travel freely so that they can then cross into the United States and go to their real destination. Well, none of these immigrants that are coming through from Guatemala are looking for the great Mexican dream, as right. I like to say. 
all of them want to come to the United States or they wouldn't be bothering with all of this. Right. But the key to it right now, just because of local circumstances and some diplomatic arrangements between the U.S. and Mexico, a lot of them are being kind of bottlenecked and held down there in Tapachula and the southern states, unable to move forward. They need these cards. They need Mexican asylum to get the cards. And so the whole game being played down there is to get these cards. They're, they're just a device right. to get to the border. That's all it is. And right. so is the recovery of repressed memories of persecution that never happens in Chile or Brazil to Haitians. Right. Now, this repressed memory nonsense part, I mean, that's my take on it, is not just confined to this. I mean, this is something that's been around for a while in other cases. You link to a couple of things. You didn't go into it in great detail, but this has been used in like abuse cases and what have you. And there's disagreement as to whether this is even a real thing or it's just kind of a gimmick. Like I said, at the very least, it's highly controversial. Back in the late 80s is when this thing really recovered memory therapy is what they call it. Kind of started to make a name for itself in psychology. To be clear, that's not in the migration context. That, In other words, that's in other areas of psychology. Yes. Yeah. I, I had not heard of this being used in an immigration context until very recently with this. But I do know that there were cases in the 80s and 90s where people were charged with you know, child abuse. And in the criminal proceedings that followed, it turned out that the memories were fake and implanted, and there was like a brainwashing that happened, and everybody recanted, and the charges were dropped, and that sort of thing. So I think that with those criminal cases, the whole idea that you could all of a sudden remember in great detail events that happened in the past that you sublimated some way or for some reason in your immigration to the United States. I think this is pretty obvious what's going on down there with this, to me. Right. And in your interview with the director of one of the centers that does this, he said something like they had a 90% success rate or something for people who supposedly dredged up these repressed memories. That's right. Because A, they go in with a psychologist and the report from the psychologist and a lawyer. and those tend to be successful with these intimidated Mexican immigration adjudicators down there. Right. And by the way, a 90% success rate for this sort of thing of a repressed memory, that's a red flag to me. That is far too high of a success rate to be legitimate, right. in my opinion. But that's a red flag that definitely deserves further study if anybody continues on with this. But yeah. It's hard to tell how many are going through this. The one number was 3,000 appeals succeeded right. with the repressed memory excavation. And then another 18,000 were put through the training for just one of these agencies. Now, there was another agency there. I couldn't get an interview with them offering the very same services. And I met lawyers on a street one day who were soliciting. Haitians while they were waiting in the Mexican asylum office line. 
that they were going to help them get through asylum. And I interviewed these lawyers and they, they said, yeah, we provide psychological services. Hmm. Those lawyers, they have a foundation and the foundation raises money from American corporations and also international corporations to do this. And some of the corporations that were mentioned to me were Halliburton and Toyota. Wow. That they get money from major corporations, international corporations and American ones to do this. So I have a feeling that the expanse of this kind of operation is far more significant and broad than what I reported today. As a reminder, it's on our website, cis.org. The title of this piece, he's written several actually on his current reporting from Southern Mexico, but this one on the repressed memories so-called issue is UN funds harvesting of repressed memories of U.S. bound migrants in Mexico. One thing you didn't touch on, but it seems uh, it's a conclusion I drew, is that we have a photo in here of these residency cards that you picked up that had been discarded by people who snuck across the border and then wanted to turn themselves in. And the point, of course, was that they wanted to make sure that they wouldn't be found out as already having safe harbor in Mexico. Well, it seems to me that there's an opportunity here for American and Mexican asylum authorities to coordinate. I mean, the Mexicans must take somebody's fingerprint or something. I mean, the picture of the card shows a photo on the front and there's a barcode and other information. I don't know what the back looks like, but it seems to me they've got to have some basic info on these people that if they coordinated with our DHS, we would then know whether these people already had status in Mexico, even if they threw away their cards. Well, I believe that they are being coached to throw away these cards. It can't just be coincidental that so many of them right. happen to be on the banks of the river. I think that they are being coached maybe down in Tapachula in these classes. Right. Get rid of this stuff if you want to get U.S. asylum. What I would give to be a fly on the wall in one of those training sessions down there right. that American lawyers are participating in. But, you know, if you are firmly domiciled in another country, your chances of getting U.S. asylum decline pretty precipitously. Right. And so we find these cards of all different nationalities and passports, too, from many different countries all over the riverbanks. That has to be by design. In earlier posts, you had included some photos of Haitian, of ID cards from Chile, and um, I think also maybe passports from Brazil for the kids born there of Haitians. And again, those were thrown away because if they were already living for many years often in, say, Chile or Brazil, they weren't claiming they were persecuted there. And then once some of them, after that Del Rio fiasco, were returned to Haiti, the flow dried up, I remember, pretty radically because they were basically found out. And the last thing they wanted to do was end up back in Haiti since they hadn't been there for years. That's right. And it once was the case, according to the director of the nonprofit that I interviewed down there, that the majority of their clients were Honduran and Guatemalan. Right. But he told me that the majority now are Haitians. Interesting. And Haitians present a really difficult problem to 
asylum adjudicators of any of any kind, of any nationality, because they are really clearly economic migrants. There's the majority of them have been living in Brazil and Chile for years, and Chile is not known for government persecution. It's just not a thing. Right. And you know they were living in security and safety there, but somehow they all managed to come up with these repressed memories. To come up with a better story, basically, than the one <laughs> yes. they have. Right. Yes. You know, another thing that is beyond the scope of your story, but it's definitely relevant, I think, and this is maybe something to look at, is that, I mean, it has to be that if these folks have, you know, come up with this story, uh, supposedly through repressed memory, that they're then going to use it when they turn themselves in to U.S. authorities as well. They've got the patter down. You know, at this point, they may even believe it. So it seems to me that, in other words, it's not just that it's helping them get the tool they need to get out of southern Mexico and head north, but it also provides them an ability to make a more plausible story when dealing with U.S. authorities as well. Yeah, you make a great point there. I hadn't even thought of that, but undoubtedly, people know that what worked once is probably likely to work again. I would be willing to bet a paycheck that in those trainings down there and in the legal assistance and consultation sessions that they get down there, they're well aware of what American asylum adjudicators are looking for for the credible fear interviews. Phil, listeners, incredible fear interview is the screening interview for people who turn themselves in. They're, you know, the illegal immigrants who sneak across the border and they say they fear return. And so the credible fear interview, like the name suggests, is to see whether their fear of being returned is actually credible. In other words, are they getting messages from Mickey Mouse through their dental work, or is there some kind of plausibility to what they're saying? And the bar and statute is very low, which is why the vast majority of them make that initial screening cut. And this kind of coaching and making up stories and the rest of it through this repressed memory process is going to dramatically increase the likelihood that they'll at least get through that first screening interview, the credible fear interview. And if they're not detained or not returned to wait on the other side of the border in Mexico through the Remain in Mexico program, they're released and, you know, they got what they wanted, which is getting into the U.S. That's right. And then, of course, you know, there's such a backlog on the asylum that right. they need to get through the credible fear just to be able to live for the next three to four years while they're waiting for their cases to come up. So you were down in southern Mexico, in Tapachula area for about a week, and you stumbled on this repressed memories business. But you had a couple other postings, too. What else did you see when you were down there? Well, when I arrived, the city of Tapachula was fairly emptied of migrants, whereas just a couple weeks before, it was shoulder to shoulder in every street in the city. 50,000, 60,000 immigrants had been backed up behind a dam there, a bureaucratic dam. Why was there a bureaucratic dam? Because there's this whole artifice going on between the Biden administration and the Obrador government, where the Biden people have asked repeatedly 
for the Mexicans to just slow the flow down there, slow them down. This is polling terrible up here on the border, all these migrants crossing and apprehensions by historical numbers. And so the Mexicans do this by requiring that they go through all this asylum. They get asylum, they have to apply for hardship permissions and visas and different whatever. And of course, they make sure that their first appointment is in two months and then that sort of thing. And so they really just kind of jam them up until the numbers get so huge that it becomes a domestic political problem for the Mexicans. Right. Violence, riots, the local people of Tapachula are vigilante attacking the migrants. It really is causing tremendous problems for the Mexicans down there. And so they came up with a cunning way to clear them out without anybody seeing or noticing, especially the Biden administration's constituents. And what that is, is called the QR code visa. And something that is known in the cartel smuggling land as Operation Ants, Ant Operations, which is to say that you atomize your cocaine smuggling or your people smuggling in small individual groups or just individuals in lines up to the border so that maybe they might catch one of the lines, but nobody will really see the whole totality. And so the Mexican government took this on in the final week of December, right after Christmas. And they brought up 500 buses and gave everybody these QR codes that allowed them to go to 14 different cities, required them to go to 14 different cities. This was not a matter of free will. Their QR codes were four designated cities, and you had to show them to get on the bus to that designated city. So it was on purpose so that nobody would notice that 50,000 people suddenly surged forward to the American border and that there would be no political fallout like what we saw with the Del Rio migrant camp or a caravan right. that attracts natural media attention. So basically disperse them across the whole border, basically, so that they didn't all show up in one place and camp like the Del Rio people did. That's right. And this is a kind of a double cross that the Mexicans pulled on the Biden administration, although I believe that the Biden administration was fully aware that they were going to do this and probably didn't object as long as nobody saw it. And I think that we're going to be seeing more operation ant operations for 2022. I think this is how it works because while I was in Tapachula, I noticed a very visible, I didn't have particular numbers, but you could just see Day by day, the streets getting more and more crowded. Hmm. You could see the new migrants coming in with their backpacks, walking to their hotels and trying to find places to stay. There were more and more and more. And guess what? While I was there, I also started to see the very beginnings of the agitation that led to the first QR code operation at three or four weeks ago, where there we had very significant demonstrations in front of the Mexican Immigration Office hmm. headquarters there in Tapachula. There were migrants on the ground who were telling me that they were going to get violent and that they were going to form caravans. And they did try to form one, a smaller one. The following morning, they were broken up by violence 
the Mexican National Guard. So what's going to happen is over the next two months, there will be this increasing tension and as the numbers grow, and then the Mexicans will release them again, and then again, and right. then again. And by the way, these QR codes are showing up all over the Texas side of the Rio Grande again. You mean the printed out printouts of them? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. Crumpled up, crumpled up, and there they are. I so mean, it's the same thing. It's a tool for them to get to the northern border. And then after that, not only do they not want it, but it would be a problem if they had it with them. It would be evidence that they are really just gaming the system. Right. The artifice is that these migrants are supposed to self-report in the designated city that they were sent to. Right. Voluntarily report. It sounds familiar. We do that here in the U.S. Exactly. We send them forward. And, you know, of course, as we know now, about 45 or 50 percent of them never show up. Well, I, I'd be willing to guess that, you know, probably 100 percent of the Mexican ones don't show up. Right. I mean, that's. I think the point of the piece is that let's all just be real here. Let's just all quit faking that we're holding back migrants at the Mexican border and that there's this deal and that, you know, they're really just coming to settle in Mexico. None of that's true. Let's just be real about it. I think that's the point. And the interesting thing to get back to the repressed memory thing, you know, the reason it may well be that 90% of the people who go through this so-called therapy to make up new memories for asylum after they're rejected initially, the dynamic may be giving the Mexican authorities some kind of plausible reason to give them this card and get them out of there. In other words, if, yes. if you're just coming and telling the truth, yeah, I have relatives in Houston and I'm just coming to go to, they got a dishwashing job lined up for me. You know, it's like, oh, come on, fellas, I can't give you the card for that. Come up with something better. I mean, in other words- <laughs> right. The Mexican authorities, in a sense, down there kind of had an incentive to believe this repressed memory business because it enables them to, you know, do essentially line flushing. In other words, get people out of their hair so that they're not a problem down there in Tapachula any longer. Absolutely. And, you know, I asked the director that I was talking to of the center, uh, I said, listen, you know, there are going to be Americans that would look at the, what you're doing here and say they're just making it up. They're just giving a good story to just game the system. They're lying. And this is organized lying, and the UN's paying for it with American taxpayer dollars. How do you respond to that? And he, he said, well, the fact that the Mexican authorities are approving 90% of them is the evidence that they're not lying. Yeah, I love <laughs> so, that. It's yeah. kind of a circular argument there. Getting back to this artifice of holding back the tide in Tapachula, I find it interesting that the Biden administration is not putting any similar pressure like that on the Costa Rican government to slow them down on their southern border, and at the same time, the Panamanian government to slow them down on their border, right? and the Colombians to slow them down on their border. And it might actually work if all of them did it in conjunction at once, because the person that starts off going to Colombia, if they see they've got a three-month wait there and then a three-month wait in Panama and a three-month wait in Costa Rica and then a three-month wait, I mean, I think they're going to stay home. Right. Yeah. Fewer of them would come, that's for sure. The uh, yeah. issue there is 
it's kind of like musical chairs. I mean, which country is left holding the bag? And often these people, they're not just sort of walking up through from Chile or Brazil or taking the bus. They're often flying into Ecuador because it has very lax rules on visas. And in a sense, it might put pressure on Ecuador because if everybody ends up imposing the roadblocks, then they're kind of left holding the bag. And that might be then an incentive to get them to change their visa rules. It's the hot potato game. Right. You could almost feel sorry for the Mexicans, you know, being left to be the ones to pretend to slow them all down at their border and get stuck. Listen, I, I talked to a lot of regular Tapachulans right. while I was there. They have had it. I talked to this Mexican restaurant owner for a long time. I talked to a newspaper publisher of the local newspaper for a long time. And the degree of anger and I would say hatred, uh, migrant hatred in Tapachula is over the top. I mean, mm. it is really something. And that's a domestic political problem for the Mexicans. I mean, and it's widespread. I mean, they, they were Tapachulans that were organizing to defend their city against these people, wow. the migrants coming through that were being forced to stay there. Interesting. And, you know, in a sense, the Mexicans are trying to, it seems to me, play a game here. But ultimately, it's U.S. government policies that are attracting people. I mean, even if we are strict, even under Trump, there were still people trying this, but there's a whole lot fewer of them. I mean, the, the intensity of this flow is due to Biden's essential de facto invitation to people, illegal immigrants, to come here. So until that changes, there's only so much that's going to work. Yeah, and I, I've said this, this is nothing new, but it's just further reinforcement that, you know, I've spent a lot of time talking to a lot of migrants over the course of a week. And I mean a lot, you know, all day, every day talking to them. And I always ask, I just make it a point to find out, you know, why did they come now in this circumstance? The answer is most commonly because, you know, Joe Biden is nice. <laughs> yep. He's letting us in. I've got a, a videotape of a bunch of migrants giving me the thumbs up. Yay, Joe Biden, <laughs> Joe Biden number one, that sort of thing. And <laughs> right. Nobody was saying Donald Trump number one. Right. Yeah. Interesting. I never heard that. Interesting. Well, thank you, Todd. Todd Benzman has joined us for this episode. We've been talking about his post on our website at cis.org called UN Funds Harvesting of Repressed Memories of U.S.-Bound Migrants in Mexico, along with some other stories from his recent reporting trip in southern Mexico. Appreciate it, Todd. And when you travel again, if your wife lets you to one of these places, whether it's southern Mexico or Costa Rica, or, or maybe, maybe you can try uh, Mauritania next time. We'll have you back <laughs> on to talk about it then. Well, I just had my third negative COVID test, so I'm in the clear. So you can go home now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, great. Okay. Thanks a lot, Todd. Thank you. And finally, I just wanted to draw attention to some numbers that were released this week. The Homeland Security Department finally released the December numbers for apprehensions at the border. They call them encounters. They had already released them in a judicial filing, but they only released them this week to the public. 
and my sense is they were looking for some ways to spin it or something, but whatever it is, it's, it's taking longer and longer after the end of a month for them to actually release the numbers. And what we found was that, again, it was another month of increased Border Patrol arrests at the border. Just one small point for people who follow this, a lot of the reporting will refer to 178,000 so-called encounters at the border. This is the new PC word that the Biden people have made up. And that includes almost all of that is border patrol arrests, just like everybody's familiar with, people coming between the ports of entry. But there's also an additional small number of people who were illegal immigrants apprehended at ports of entry. In other words, the legal crossing points on the southern border, but, you know, had no documents or fake documents or hiding in a trunk or what have you. So that number was 178,000, and that's the number that I'm seeing quoted in the media. The apprehensions by the Border Patrol specifically were 170,000. And the reason we use that number here is because the records go back a couple of decades on Border Patrol numbers, but not necessarily on the ones at the ports of entry. So that's why we use that somewhat lower number. It's not much lower. It's higher than it was in November, so it's gone up in a month in December when the numbers have almost always gone down because illegal immigrants, traditionally sort of old-style illegal immigrants of single Mexican men, would go home in December or would be more likely to go home. So the numbers of new arrests of people coming in generally go down. Well, now they're just going up. They were up in November compared to October as well. And this is another record for the month of December. In other words, over the past several months, each month has been a record for that month. That's the you know, highest number for that month of any year going back as far back as we have records. And the difference between the past couple of months and the arrest numbers for that same month in earlier years have been going up. For instance, in October, the number of people the Border Patrol apprehended was 74% higher than the previous record. In November, the number of people arrested by the Border Patrol was more than 100% higher than the previous record. In other words, more than double. And in December, it was even further. It was 139% larger than the prior record, which was December of 1999. And so for the whole calendar year, not the fiscal year, which is usually the way government reports it, but the calendar year is probably a better yardstick for judging Biden's performance since he was sworn in less than one month, just less than three weeks into the calendar year. So looking January through December and comparing that to earlier years gives us a better look at what this administration specifically has done. And the fact is that there are nearly 2 million arrests by the Border Patrol in the calendar year 2021, slightly more than 2 million so-called encounters when you include the smaller number of people at ports of entry. And I think I've pointed out before this is worse than it looks because it's not just single men from next door anymore. In fact, you know, a large group about a third of them 
were either adults with kids with them or so-called unaccompanied so-called minors. And they, they're much more difficult to return. They're much more likely just to be released into the United States and never to leave. And so the crisis at the border isn't going away. It's getting worse. There could well be some fluctuations that might go down a little bit. There's no question that, that it's not always every month going to go up from the previous month. But it's appallingly high, the number of people coming across. And some of them, indeed, are people who've come back and forth a few times because they were bounced out of the country under that so-called Title 42 authority based on the public health emergency. But the fact is that most of them aren't. And this is only getting worse as a policy matter, and it's only going to get worse for the president in a political sense unless he reverses course. And while I hope he reverses course, I am not optimistic that we're going to see more than small kind of symbolic measures to try to seem like the administration is responding to the border disaster without actually doing anything that would upset his core supporters who don't believe in borders. I mean, literally, they think that immigration should be unlimited, that immigration laws are illegitimate in themselves. Whether it's Trump or not doesn't matter. It's the existence of immigration controls are illegitimate in the minds of the people actually running immigration policy in this administration. And I hope things don't go completely off the rails, but I don't see how this ends anytime soon or ends well. It's entirely possible we're going to have some kind of genuine disaster emergency scenario with large numbers of casualties or in some other way very harmful in an immediate sense that can't just be explained away. I obviously hope that doesn't happen, but it becomes more and more likely every month this administration refuses to enforce the border. On that optimistic note, thank you for joining us on Parsing Immigration Policy. If you are listening to this through one of the platforms that allows reviews, please give us a five-star review. And any substantive comments, we're glad to see. We'd be delighted just to email them directly. You can email them to me directly at ms, as in Stephen, msk at cis.org. And I hope you'll tune in next week.